1: I'm Stephen Pineiker, and you're listening to Gospel Tangents. Can you say that?
2: Oh, I look at the camera. <laughs> Thank the... <laughs> you.
1: <laughs> That's going to be our blooper. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> oh, we are recording. Good. <laughs> That's great. Awesome.
1: Welcome to Gospel Tangents, the best source for Mormon history, science, and theology. I'm Rick Bennett. I'm excited to turn the tables on Steve. For those of you who may have seen the interview where he asked me questions, now I'm going to ask him questions about how uh, an evangelical does in the Mormon world. So it's going to be a phone conversation. You won't want to miss it. Check it out. Welcome to Gospel Tangents. I'm excited to be here. It's kind of overcast, but I'm telling you, the weather is great here in Florida in January. Where are we, Steve?
2: We are in a Christian community. Actually, we'll say it, Christian retreat um, that I live at, we've had their place here since the 80s, and they've kind of opened up their arms to a couple Mormon podcasters using church facilities. Of course, today we're using My I, which I think is really awesome.
1: And where is it located?
2: We're in, well, just south of Tampa in Bradenton, Florida. Bradenton, so now Florida. the stalkers can figure out where I'm at. So.
1: Exactly. Yeah, this is great. Should we? Do you want me to cut that out? No, that's
2: fine. <laughs> People <keep looking laughs> can find out where I'm at. That's, that's public.
1: So, it's so great to be here in Florida in January. Behind us is this nice pond. When I left Salt Lake, it was snowing. And I'm here. It's like 70 degrees, probably. There's a nice pond behind us with, I don't know if you can see the alligator. There's a bird. I thought there was a turtle over There's there. There's a turtle that hangs out there, yeah. Yeah, so I, the cat, the alligator has an eaten turtle?
2: No, they don't eat. They don't eat. Uh, the turtle's shell. They can't okay. get to, yeah.
1: Okay, well, that's good. I've seen some shows where they go after turtles. So oh, I interesting.
2: Sure. I haven't seen it. Well, this, is, this is a real small alligator we have. <laughs> I don't think he can handle our turtle.
1: <laughs> so anyway, it's great to be here uh, with Mormon Book Reviews. You can see we, we, we were wearing each other's shirts, and so uh, it's kind of cool. It's yeah. kind of cool. So, Steve, thank you so much for being so hospitable and, uh, and arranging this. We thought, we got to be on each other's podcast. Okay. So I have to tell you... Um, you know, I'm always a little bit slower than Steve at getting stuff out. And so if you haven't seen, Steve made me cry. Oh, there goes my light. All right. You know, technical things happen. So blooper reel. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I want to thank Steve for his wonderful hospitality here. And, uh, we even went to, uh, the the church, right? Is that where we met Mariner Merrill's uh, grandson
2: great 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 grandson or whatever yeah great great i don't know how far but yeah direct descendant of mariner mariner Morrell.
1: and i and i tell them i told him i said well you're the son of polygamists <laughs> <laughs> I think that kind of surprised him <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway it's been it's been very nice to be welcomed among the evangelicals here in florida and enjoy this wonderful weather holy cow uh, i can see why you live here y-
2: this guy won't stop shut up about the weather <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I i don't have to shovel that's what's really nice so it's, it's a pain shoveling the weather mm. <laughs> yeah
2: it is i got gotcha. you
1: so anyway uh if you haven't seen steve's episode i'm going to tell you he made me cry <laughs> <laughs> so go watch it marmon book reviews it's probably i would argue my most personal
2: and it wasn't intended to be
1: yeah a- interview so you know I, I i very rarely give personal information so um you, you're gonna want to if you want to know what riggs thinks and, and some personal stories that's 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 a gold mine
2: on a very special episode of mormon book reviews
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we'll definitely link to that but anyway it, uh you know steve had talked to me about what it's like to to meet all these evangelicals, because, you know, I often talk about the jerk evangelicals, and Steve's one of the cool ones.
2: Cool, be, cool cool evangelical,
1: yeah. So we thought it would be nice to kind of turn the tables and now talk to Steve about what it's like to work with all these crazy Mormons and polygamists and everything. Yeah, yeah. So so what are, what are the most memorable things you've been doing in the last, <laughs> how long have you been doing your podcast just now? It
2: was just under two years. Okay. Yeah, it hasn't been quite two years yet. Yeah, so we're heading towards a two-year anniversary in a couple months.
1: Okay so what is it like to work with all these crazy mormons
2: oh first of all i'm a crazy evangelical so cray cray likes uh, we get we, <laughs> we, we get the we, we it's like a magnet we get drawn to each other um you he's know,
1: even played matchmaker
2: oh i know that's crazy i know marriages are happening and that's
1: <laughs> now I'm, you have to tell that story well okay well we'll, I, we'll leave some okay. of the details out yeah but. well
2: i the result basically my podcast led to the result of a uh, a pretty well-known polygamist um to uh, uh, add a uh, fundamentalist more than fundamentalist um, basically he's met his wife or became they they got confirmation she got confirmation she was supposed to marry him by watching my podcast i'll leave it at that
1: but she's the first wife right that's
2: the first yeah she's the first wife.
1: <laughs> so so not really a polygamist but and i think i'm gonna could go there
2: i'm gonna counsel him on serial monogamy
1: <laughs> so uh so how is it to be a matchmaker
2: uh you know it's just crazy because you know one of the things that's happened to this channel is that it was meant to be a scholarly schol- scholastic channel and it's weird and we talked about this in my episode how it's become a channel where it's impacted people on a personal level so yeah somebody got married if i did not have the, my podcast chances are they would not be married and that really means something to me on a very personal spiritual level and i got to spend time with them I, I, I didn't clear it with them, so I don't want to give their names, you know. But, mm-hmm. but I mean, I went to the beach. And uh, I had a, a wonderful moment where they're singing Christian hymns, uh, w- walking in the cold water that I won't get into because I'm a Floridian now. <laughs> and just had a, a beautiful moment with them that I got to share. And it was one of those moments where I'm sitting there, I'm watching them in the water, I'm taking pictures of them, watching the sunset go down. And I realized, like, I am in a very privileged position to experience this moment. An evangelical, evangelical, is experiencing this moment where Mormon fundamentalists are kind of grateful for, for my podcast bringing them together. And I, but I told them, I said, you know, you guys would have gotten together anyhow because you guys knew each other in the preexistence.
1: So, <laughs> <laughs> well, th- was this God uh, directing an evangelical to get two Mormons together?
2: I look at it this way. I go to God sometimes. and say, Okay, God, really, this is what you want. You want you you you're gonna you're gonna do this. Okay, see this because I believe that God is is in the matter. I do believe that God plays a role in my channel, and I don't I don't really get like super like spiritual. But you
1: don't get into like marriage ceilings and everything, time and all eternity. That's not one of your beliefs. Is, I know, I are don't. you conflicted in this? Isn't this a conflict for? Uh...
2: No. No. I don't mind being a walking contradiction. <laughs> I don't mind it at all. Which
1: is why we're friends.
2: That's exactly right. <laughs> I actually like the messiness of not putting things in boxes. Like Nathan Smith of uh, Mind Makes This World, uh, YouTube channel, says you like to blur lines, Steve. You like to blur lines. And, and, and that's what I like to do. But I think that's a good thing. Because, honestly, we are just at each other's throats in this country. And nobody talks to anybody. And it's just gotten so toxic. I mean, I literally have people attack me personally because you gave so and so a platform. Like, oh my, you know, and this person has their own platform, and this person, one of them was like, well, let's see, this person's been on uh, Gospel Tangents, been on Mormon Stories, has been on the Salt Lake Tribune podcast, and you're getting mad at me. I said, well, they gave them a platform, so by golly, you know, yeah, I'm going to have them on, right? And, oh,
1: now I'm curious who this person is. Uh,
2: okay, what can I say? A, a Denver snuffer. Oh, yeah. And I was just—they like, got mad at Denver Snuffer. They got mad that I gave Denver Snuffer a platform.
1: Who? These are evangelical. No, or Mormons? these are
2: I, well, probably ex-Mormons. They used to be the most critical because he's right—he's perceived as being right-wing and you know all this kind of stuff. So I—I I don't know. I'm just
1: like—that's
2: weird. It's weird, but either way, it's fine. Huh. That's just the world I live in, in Mormon land.
1: <laughs> weird. are we're, we're we the live, world. We live. Yeah. <laughs> Well, tell us some of your other stories about dealing with Mormon. Well, let me before you do that. One of the things you know, President David O. McKay said every member a missionary. Yep. Well, Steve has played missionary for the Mormon Church. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember the first? I think it was the first time I met you when you the first time you came to Salt Lake. Uh-huh. You got off the plane. I think you were wearing the same shirt. Uh-huh. And um, you were like, "Oh, I sat next to this woman." Can you can you tell that story?
2: Oh yeah. Oh my goodness, yeah, that was the first time. Yeah, yeah, boy, oh, it's been a while. Yeah, I sat next to this woman who I was literally going to... This is the first time in Utah, this is the thing. And see, this right. is where I think God's in the matter, because there's things that happen like this all the time, is I'm like, oh good, window seat, I'm going to grab this window seat. And this girl just comes and... Gets right in there, like oh Jesus. Okay. Southwest, so you have yeah. no assigned seats. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, I guess unfortunately there was, and unful- unusually we had a middle, we didn't have anybody sitting in the middle seat. Oh, okay. And so we have this, you know, interesting conversation where we were, um, actually, I I had I had to change planes in Nashville, Tennessee. I was coming from Tampa or Jacksonville, actually, and she was coming from Chicago, right, and. We start talking. She said, "Yeah, I'm I'm a I'm, I'm from Utah, and I'm active in the church, and all this kind of stuff." Was
1: this from Chicago
2: to Salt Lake? Yeah, the, no. This was going to be the flight. Then it would go from where we our stopover was in Nashville. So we switched planes and got on the plane in Nashville. Oh, okay. But and she then she, a, has, she was coming. She was so coming Chicago,
1: Nashville, Salt Lake. That makes a lot of sense. But it's Southwest. Well, she right. So,
2: so, so she's just coming back from Chicago. She's heading back home to Utah, and we start talking. And, she, and, I, and she, I said, what brought you to Chicago? She said, well, um, and she's a, in a very busy occupation job, important one. Um, I just got I heard from my friend who's, her husband's in the bishop, bishopric. And she just contacted me recently and said that I'm losing my faith. I don't know if I believe anymore. I think I'm going to leave the church. Right? And, and she's telling me the story. She said, Steve, uh, I literally, from the moment she told me that, I literally booked the flight, headed there, and showed up to their door unannounced, whether it was that day or the next day. She's like, I'm going to go, and i got to save her, or i got to help her, right? This is my first trip to Utah, and I'm sitting there talking to her. And so she's just telling me this story. So she's,
1: she's on her way home now.
2: She's on her way home. So we're talking, and she's asking me questions like, okay, what about the seer stone? Okay, tell me about the the because
1: po- had her had her friend read CES letters? Yeah, like so that. she read all
2: this stuff, and then she was like, "What about Polyandry?" And it was funny because I was actually kind of given like, "Well, some have speculated that Polyandry was actually Joseph Smith was is, was in the process of he was going to seal everybody together, the whole church body was going to be sealed, and that he the assassination prevented it from happening." So, oh, I feel a lot better about it now. So I'm like, "Oh man, I just you know, and that's fine." But that was a theory that I think Brian Hales has put out, and and it's in kind of an interesting theory, but then. We're talking some more, and she gives me her background. And she was the personal, She was a personal nurse to Thomas Monson, a personal nurse to the last patriarch of the church, uh, Eldridge Smith. Eldridge Smith, was a personal nurse to him, and was a personal nurse to other general authorities. And she even told me a story, and she wouldn't say who it was, but she goes to me and said, so-and-so sat me down at the kitchen table and she said, um, he said, I want to read something to you. And she says, what's that? He said, I want to read my speech. I'm going to be giving to General Conference, and I'd like to get your feedback on it. Wow. And so I was like, this is my first trip to Utah. And I'm like, we're at the very end. We're talking the whole way. Conversations going back and forth. She's asking me questions. I'm asking her questions. And we have just just really this powerful moment and at the very end as we're about ready to leave she goes to me and she says steve i believe god brought us together today to have this conversation it's my first trip to utah did i say that okay (laughs) and i was like yeah i believe that too and of course we both knew that as the conversation was going as as things are clicking we're talking and she runs into me and i run into her and we start comparing notes and It was almost like she needed to have that conversation needed to talk to somebody who knew about all the controversies that her friend was dealing with and then of course we get off the plane and there's rick bennett i believe was wearing a yellow gospel tangent shirt standing there and this is the first time i actually met you right and i was like hey i want you to meet so-and-so and 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 then you get in touch with her and hey if you have any questions about the church i can help you with that too
1: she didn't ever contact no that's
2: fine (laughs) (laughs) i i I did i did a little bit uh i I was in touch with her for a little bit but see i i don't think it was meant that we're supposed i was going to have this ongoing conversation i just believe that god said she has a need that she needs somebody to talk to talk things through and i think god was also showing me previewing to me okay steve get ready because you're about ready to go on so a wild ride, and you're going to meet and talk to people they would have never imagined. And then the next day, I book Richard Bushman to come on my program, right? <laughs> so, it no, it was that same day.
1: Was it the same I day? I believe
2: it was the same day. And well, so I hadn't
1: gotten on at that time. Oh, and let
2: me tell you, that another flight, and this was not as dramatic, but on another flight, I sat next to Richard Bushman's nephew.
1: <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah,
2: so it, it's cr- kind of crazy just having these interactions with people and and just realizing, I kind of look at it as kind of confirmation for God. I'm saying like, okay, I'm going to bring this person into your life and you're going to have this conversation with them. You're going to bless them and they're going to bless you. And that's a privileged position to be in.
1: So every evangelical a Mormon missionary.
2: (laughs) Uh, God is good. God God has a plan and he's going to use whatever broken vessel, and I'm a very broken vessel, they'll use whatever broken vessel was afforded to him.
1: So can you share some other stories that you've got? uh,
2: I mean, you know, it's crazy because, like, uh, you know, when I first started the channel, you know, I had, like, 20-something subscribers, 30, and all of a sudden, I thought maybe in six months to a year, Sandra Tanner will hear about me. And I'm wondering what she's thinking of, would think about what I'm doing. Two weeks, within two weeks of the channel starting, Sandra Tanner makes a friend request to me on Facebook. Really? The day after my interview of you uh, aired on Gospel Tangents. Oh, really? So just imagine within a 24-hour period, this is what happened. On April 4th, 2021, right, I released my, you have your long-lost interview that will never be seen with John DeLynn. You taped it, the secret interview. And then uh, then I released my interview, and I then reached out to John DeLynn to tell him we talked about him in my episode. I'm then talking to John DeLynn. I, I think this is my first, then talking to John DeLynn on Reddit, and then the next morning, I like I I went to mom because I said, "Mom, I was talking to John DeLynn last night." I mean, I couldn't believe this. He was talking to me, and then and then I my phone dings. I'm in the living room, and then friend request Sandra Tanner. I'm like okay, like I knew early on I was onto something unique and different, you know, because I know look, there's a ton of people that are doing trying to do this kind of thing, and if they don't have they don't have these things happen right it's just kind of crazy yeah and so that's kind of like the start of the channel and then of course uh next thing you know i get matt harris on my program and then i have christopher thomas come on the program and then i book john hamer and he comes on and then i do richard bushman and i tell people i said you know people think that it was because richard bushman was on my program that that's how I was able to book all these people I said I already had Don Bradley, John Hamer, Matt Harris and all these people lined up before I even met Richard Bushman it
1: still took me off that he got Richard Bushman before I did
2: yeah <laughs> it's it's wild well I was on the phone with John DeLynn because John DeLynn had put po- the 2 days after I po- uh, 2 days before I posted my interview of my, of Richard Bushman John DeLynn had posted the fireside chat that he gave with
1: Patrick
2: no no the fireside chat he did of Bushman when he oh. that was recorded like the, the current in the basement na- or whatever yeah the current the, the narrative cannot be sustained or the you know whatever that he had said and and then I'm on the phone with John Dolan, like you booked Richard Bushman and it, you know so then he I really got his attention then because how in the world you got I mean I didn't even I, be, before you could show you could do it where you didn't have to show how many uh, subscribers you have so when I asked Richard Bushman to come on my program I had 106 subscribers I remember it that day but I don't show that publicly because I'm like I don't want people to think I'm some you know I have this tiny channel so I hid I deliberately hid the amount of uh, subscribers I had <laughs> <laughs> so that they wouldn't know that I'm like I only have like act act like you you've been here before and you're a player you know <laughs> and so it was kind of fun you know of course and uh, that was my introduction to Mormon uh, history association was that flight and it was a last minute thing and I'll tell you it was another providential thing because what happened was. I visited my first Church of Jesus Christ church service. I was heading up to the place in northern Florida. These are the this right? is the Bicker tonight's. This is the Bicker tonight's. Okay, so I'm I stay I used to stay every summer up in northern Florida at a place, and I thought, okay, I'm going to head up north, north of Tampa, and I'm going to attend their service. And then I got all my supplies I want to bring. I wasn't going to be there yet, but I wanted to get, go to Costco and get all my supplies and bring it there, and then come back home, so I wouldn't have so I'd have room in my car for my trip when I go there. And so I go to this Bicker tonight's service. And I was like, I was blessed. And I'm going tomorrow. He's going tomorrow. I was blessed by these people. But I didn't know how blessed I was. But I, 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 I just felt like something happened when I attended that service. So then you keep on going and badgering me. You should be coming. To, oh, you're not going to MHA. Oh, I thought you were going to MHA. Oh, you're really badgering me about going to MHA. It was like after I did that service and I'm in my car and I'm talking to my mom on the phone. As I'm heading out back home. And I said, Mom. I think i'm supposed to go to mormon history association i'm doing it and i felt like because it was almost like god was showing me like no steve you're supposed to work history association but see i see god told me early on he said don't make any plans see i made the plans but god said no 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 remember steve i told you you don't make any plans so mormon history association was thrust upon me through your lobbying but also me having like a spiritual moment with them and thinking no like with god all things are possible like, I, I limited myself thinking I couldn't go to Mormon History Association for, for a variety of reasons, but I did. And I met, network with people and met all these wonderful people, and I just thought, man, they're just so nice. The people here are just so genuinely nice. I like hanging out with these people. And I was able to, you know, I, I find a lot of people, book them, and, and meet them, and, and it was just really, really cool. And 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 that's what I say. You guys are a peculiar people, but I mean that in the best possible way. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, and
1: you're a peculiar podcaster. Yes, I am. I am a Mormon podcaster, but I'm
2: not a Mormon. Okay, so uh, that's the thing. You know, is just having like, wow, these are. Get to, so I get to know the people that, whose t- names are on the books that I've read. I actually get to talk to them, and realize they're three third dimension, three dimensional people, and they're not just, you know that these, they didn't put these words on pages. They actually, like, I'm talking to them in flesh and blood. So that was really cool. It was really eye-opening for me. And, uh, so yeah, that was where my, my introduction to the Mormon scholar world, right? Mormon scholarship. And I felt like, uh, wow. Okay. So there's just, this is going to open up a, a series of possibilities. And then just as the, you know, Bruce Van Orden comes on and we had a really great episode. Um, I just start booking these people and it's hard for me to even remember a lot of the people, but, um, and then, i just keep on running you know dan vogel uh thomas murphy i remember even seeing thomas murphy and thinking oh yeah i remember rick's interview with him you know and uh i was like oh i didn't think he'd be on my show but then he said he would and that was another person i just kept on and then and then don bradley he was there thomas
1: has been on your show more than mine
2: yeah i know <laughs> it's crazy well I'm just give me an example like Thomas uh, did a uh, a thing about uh, a response to about Rod Meldrum uh, and the Heartland model, um, and that served as a basis for a paper that Simon Southerton and uh, Thomas Murphy co-authored with another individual. And I apologize; I don't remember your name. You're a Native American who's uh, who's a really close friend to Angelo Baca. Uh, Angelo Baca, thank you so much. Um, that the, my channel gets acknowledged in the acknowledgments of that paper in the prestigious anthropological journal. And so just things I get, Josh Gailey cites me in one of his books. Um, if you go on Wikipedia, if you go to the Book of Mormon uh, page, my channel is cited there. If you go to Ogden Kraut, my channel is cited there. You know, just just so random. And Lindsay Hansen Park, my channel is cited there. So 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 it's become like even a resource for people, for researchers. Mm-hmm. And and so that was unexpected. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I remember too... I had this long list of people that I wanted, and this is like July, I wrote down this list early on with the show, like these are all the people I want to talk to, like I just kept on scratching off names, Sandra Tanner, Denver Snuffer, uh, John DeLynn, all these people, like these are the people I want to either talk to or get on my program, and then finally I had one last name, no, I don't think I had Denver Snuffer on my name, on my list, but I had a name, Sean McCraney of Heart of the Matter, and you know Sean's a controversial guy, he does his own thing. But I always I, I enjoyed his show. He was kind of a, a fun guy, interesting. He's, he's a bit heretical in some ways. He would even say that himself.
1: But, even uh, among evangelicals. Even religion. among evangelicals,
2: yeah. But I just remember thinking, man, I'm talking to Denver Snuffer, who says basically he's going to come on my program. But, and I didn't have him on the list, but I have one name that I have to scratch off this list, and it's Sean McCraney. So I'm going to reach out to Sean. So, we're, so next thing you know, we're on a Zoom call. And man, he was so nice to me. It's like, oh, hey, I wa-. and he goes and he said, "I want to pray over you." So when you pray over you, oh sure, you're gonna yeah, I'm gonna pray over your ministry. I'm like, well, no, no, Sean, I don't have a ministry. This is this is just, you know, it's more scholarly. You know, we do spiritual stuff, but it's it's not m- meant to be. Mi- no, 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 Steve, you have a ministry, and I'm gonna pray over you your ministry. So the next thing you praise over me, and at that moment I said, well, I guess I got a ministry now. And again, non proselytizing. <laughs> Uh, okay, so that was August of 2021. So I thought, okay, so I never had Sean on my show, but the reason I think his name was on the list was because he had to, God was saying, no, Steve, you, you need to start your ministry. And Sean, of all people, is going to be the guy that's going to initiate it. I didn't know at the time. So as you go into fall, next thing you know, I get booked Rod Meldrum. You went to your first firm, firm foundation conference. <laughs> uh, of course, the cool thing about, and you know, one of the most interesting, interesting things, I, interesting guests I've had, and I failed to mention, is Jonathan Neville. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Devil is somebody that was well-known in the uh, Heartlander circles. Right. And I found him by watching Rod Meldrum's program. And I thought, this is an interesting guy. There's, he, I like his, the way he thinks. He thinks outside the box. And then I remember I was having a conversation with him before the Jonathan Edwards uh, book came out. He, he actually went to me and said, I'm doing a thing about Jonathan Edwards and the Book of Mormon. Jonathan Edwards and the Book of Mormon – like the most important like evangelical minister, one of the most important uh, Protestant sermons ever given on American soil, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And Mormons would be like, Who, who's Jonathan in the English? Yeah, I know, it's so funny. It always surprises me. But Jonathan, and he says, yeah, I did, I've did. i done a word analysis, and uh, all the non-biblical phraseology, a large portion of the non-biblical phraseology that is in the Book of Mormon, I keep on coming been having these hits with jonathan edwards jonathan edwards jonathan edwards well i thought this is very interesting stuff i thought he's he's on to something now this is the thing right none of the academics would pay any attention to jonathan you know because he's kind of viewed i mean he jonathan has done some academic stuff in the past so don't make it sound like he didn't have some past net but i i started taking like so I so once the book came out, I read the book and, and, and actually we, we we previewed the book as well. Christopher Thomas is like, you know, Book of Mormon Studies Association he said, hey, why don't I wanna have lunch with Jonathan. And next thing you know, he starts getting noticed by other academics because it's a it's a it's a very fascinating original thesis that he came out with. But I also look at it this way as like, wow, what a wonderful, beautiful thing. That the evangelical world and the Mormon world are both in the, within the context of the pages of the Book of Mormon, right? So I'm like, I like this hypothesis that he has. Because now, next thing you know, I hear, Mormons are ordering, I hear back from Mormons who are ordering sets of Jonathan Edwards's sermons. Oh, really? Yeah. They want to know more about Jonathan Edwards. You Christian apologists out there who like to do your thing, how many of you... Have gotten Mormons to order Jonathan Edwards sets. I don't think any. <laughs> you know that's the thing. God, God is much more in, different. He does things in a way that it's unexpected, right? So, so now I'm hearing from Mormons who are engaging Jonathan Edwards, which is in essence engaging my people, right? And so that's what is a is is a, is a beautiful thing. I think that's the important thing. Whether his hypothesis is correct or not. The important thing was it got people talking and engaging with each other. And Jonathan Edwards starts hearing from Christians who are fascinated by this kind of stuff, right? So it's a bridge-building thing. Now, there are some people who hate Jonathan Neville with a passion.
1: Especially Mormons. Yes.
2: (laughs) And and, and there's this little subgroup of people. I'm not going to name. You all know who you are. (laughs) And honestly, to be honest with you, the more they went after Jonathan, I would be like, hey, Jonathan, why don't you come to my program? I'm going to give this guy a platform. So I'm gonna you, like cor-
1: you like controversy. Well,
2: I I kind of feel like I don't like self-appointed gatekeepers. Oh, we're going to... No, this is unacceptable. Uh, Jonathan Neville is outside of the bonds, bounds. And it's like, who are you to have your little website <laughs> that is obsessed with Jonathan Neville?
1: <laughs> I know. There is one out <laughs> it's there.
2: It's weird. And I've reached out to him. I said, listen, I would like to know what makes you tick. I even reached out to people who are mutual friends with, with this guy. Crickets. And anybody, everybody from that camp, all crickets, they won't engage me, which I find very fascinating because I'm the Switzerland of Mormonism, right, <laughs> as Randy Bell calls it. But yet they don't want to come on. So, and these are scholars, but they don't, I think they're definitely afraid of Jonathan Neville because they don't like the idea that their Mesoamerican model is being challenged, w- could potentially be challenged in the scholarly realm. By somebody like Jonathan, but Jonathan Neville, who wants to bring a more scholarly uh, rigor to the Heartlander thing. That's why
1: I like Jonathan. Yeah,
2: and I thought this is good because, the, see, you know, Rod Meldrum and Wayne May, they're lay people, and they make a lot of mistakes, and their scholarship is sloppy, right? And Jonathan Neville recognizes that and realizes, you know, we need to we need to bring more academic rigor to our movement, which I think is a good thing, right? Yeah. So, but the, see, this is the thing: the, the Meso people don't want that. And, I, and, and you don't understand this, Meso folks. If the dominant narrative of uh, Mormonism was the heartland model, guess who's coming on my program? I'm bringing Meso-American people, if that's the minority position. Um, that was. And I even said, like, okay, we got all these gatekeepers. We're going to do an end round around them, and I'm going to give the platform to people who have been you know, told, well, you know, you're beyond the pale, you're unacceptable, all this kind of stuff. I'm going to give them a platform so they have an opportunity to actually get in front of an audience of scholars to make their case. So that was, so me mainstreaming Jonathan Neville in one sense, of course, he's a man, he's done his own thing, and he's, 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 he, he did, in many ways doesn't, didn't need me, but I think we, we recognize, both of us recognize the utility of having these conversations. And I tell Jonathan, every time you come on my program, we move the ball. We move forward with the conversation. And I have evangelicals commenting on our videos and Mormons commenting. And then I have evangelicals and Mormons talking to each other and it's done in such a you,
1: is it fighting with each other or talking to each other? some fighting
2: but most of the time it's very positive mm. it's productive and that's what i want to continue and that's why I even like there are many evangelicals who are very much opposed to what i was doing i like three or four of them are consistently were going after me and then they started watching more and more episodes and some of them watched the mormon stories uh interview and they all did 180s on me mm. and said oh yeah like you know the, i i get it now like you, you you know, they're, they' they're understanding where, what I'm doing and that and, and and so that's been a real victory for me is that you know 90% of the comments I get are positive and and so I think that's a that's a even from atheists and and, and, and ex Mormons and Christians and and, and uh, TBMs and I think that's 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 by creating this safe space where all the voices of the restoration will be heard Um is, is, is just a not allowing for us to have this dialogue, which I, building bridges, having these conversations, having people who maybe um, are, were on the uh, outskirts or on the wayside, giving them an opportunity to get a platform to present their ideas, I think is really, really important. And, and so, you know, that's, so that's one thing. And then even like, uh, yeah, I'll t- I actually want to talk about something, too, about the evolution of my channel, if you don't mind, what's mm-hmm. happened with the way I do my interviews. So when I first got started, I would have a notepad that would be like three or four pages, the big notepad, of questions and all these things I would do. And I remember I was re- interviewing Richard Bushman, and I had all my questions. And I had get, Richard, he gave me an hour of his time. And within 20 to 25 minutes of the interview, I asked all my questions. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, Steve, you're going to have to wing it. Well, I'm like, uh, what is Mormon art? And all you get Richard Bushman talking about art. And I was like, okay. And then I realized right there, oh, I I can wing it too if I have to. And then I remember I was sitting down a Saturday morning, and I was sitting down and having a conversation with Dan Vogel. And we're talking for like two hours. And I said, Dan? I said, this is the interview. We're just going to turn the camera on, and we're just going to start talking. And that freed me up i still do a little bit of notes maybe for a little details and sometimes i'll write down it but i don't use any notes anymore it's all up here right which is basically what you do too yeah no no and i thought i even thought like whenever i watch was like man he does all this research and i can imagine all these notes and all this preparation he has to do for an interview i realized oh that's what you've been doing all along too yeah but but that's so so the evolution of the channel is I i think i've gotten more confident in myself and I, I and and just kind of learned how to do interviews a little better than when I first started, and so that's it. And so and, and again it's all the engagement that I'm having. It happens organically, like I what, like what wasn't planned, right? And so so then yeah, my interview with uh, uh, you know oh, and Brett Metcalf, that was a really good interview. Uh, they had t- talked about some really interesting stuff, and he's a really great guy. I love him. Um, I just talked to him a month or so ago on the phone during Christmas time and so that was a big one. I mean, I just literally, it's just crazy when I think about all the different people I've had. I think one of the most remarkable interviews I ever had was with Denver Snuffer, because Denver finally agreed to come on my program. Um, I've watched every interview that Denver Snuffer has done, and almost, almost every interview I've ever heard him say, at the very end of it, he'd go, oh, well, that was a waste of my time. Or,
1: oh, I'm not Let's g- not do that again. Let's not do that again. <laughs> That's what he said on mine. He does it
2: on all these programs. Well, I I was just talking to somebody about the interview. They were t- 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 talking to me about it. And he said, you know, you, 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 you handled him so differently. And I also did a lot of research um, where somebody actually kind of helped me with it too about specific things like, okay, you've you've hinted at this, but let's flesh this out. And as the interview is going on, I'm realizing that the canon of there is being added to because he's giving revelation or revelatory experiences that he had with the divine, with Jesus, that he has never talked about before. And I even talked to his right-hand man. He said, I never heard a lot of the stuff he talked about. So I'm sitting there, I'm in a privileged position saying, oh my goodness, he's adding to his canon. I knew what was happening. And then uh, as the conversation wraps up and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, now, what's he gonna say at the end, right? And so I'm closing up and he says his final words and he goes and he says, Steve, I just wanna tell you something. The reason why I talked about the things on your show that I talked about was because you have the right spirit. And he didn't say, I'll never do that again, or boy, that was a waste of my time. And I, no, no, I'm not dissing you because he did it for everybody. But it was, a, it was one of those moments where I recognized, like, this is a very special thing that's happening here. He said, your spirit. I'm like, okay, this is, this is wild. So that was, a, that was a really interesting interview. And I find the snuff right it's so fascinating. And like I was talking to Kyle Bashir about it, and he says, if you say, if you're not interested in a movement that is, is sprung out of Mormonism, that's giving uh, expanding the canon giving us new scripture and is 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 radically reinterpreting a lot of history and theology if you're not paying attention to that you're not doing your job if you're a researcher if you're somebody's interested on the cutting edge of what's going on And that's what kyle said i said yeah i agree i said that's that's important i followed denver snuffer so closely i watched all his interviews i watched his speeches that he gave i listened to some of the speeches he gave when he was doing that tour of the mormon corridor where he was like each one he was kind of talking about a different subject i remember reading the articles about they got their new canon and they've done all this kind of stuff like this is really interesting to be able to see like a new kind of religious movement with a new canon new scripture new revelation happening within the context of that movement right and so it was like he kind of gave his seal of approval on me by saying, "I like your spirit," and I think that he, that was like, "Okay, that's cool. I like that." But what a fascinating story! How in the world would not somebody not be interested in it, right? Because he's making audacious, bold moves. i are going to build a temple, dude. And I asked him specifically in in the interview. I said, "If you guys build a temple, should we be looking to the sky? Is this significant for the for the end times?" He said. Yeah, if if we build a temple, be prepared. Good stuff. You know, and it was funny because uh, one of the biggest things that happened to the channel was um, the Joseph Smith daguerreotype gets announced to the world, right?
1: Yeah, if there's one thing I'm there's not one thing I'm more jealous of than you scooped the Joseph Smith together
2: <laughs> and watch there's gonna be more folks I'm working on some other stuff about the photo just so you know more breaking I am news too,
1: I will tell you that
2: okay good good so and then um, so I what happened is it's a really fascinating story because on Thursday it's announced in, in Whitmer that and they have the picture on the cover. News of the World. It's on Drudge Report. It's on the New York Times. It's a it becomes a national story. Photograph of Joseph Smith found. And I remember I was supposed to interview somebody that Friday morning. Literally that Friday morning was supposed to be my Friday night episode. I fly by the seat of my pants.
1: (laughs) I can't do that. (laughs) And
2: and and, and he had to cancel out at the last minute. So it's nine o'clock at night. I think what am I gonna do for tomorrow night? Reed Russell, about an hour before that, had said something. Hey, you guys got, got to get, get got to get those guys on to talk about the photo. And I thought, yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe I should do that. Well, now my guy cancels out on me. And so I'm like, I need to contact John Hamer, because John Hamer's been on my program. He was, and I'm like, John's the best. By yeah, he's the way. best. He's the best. So I go, John. I reach out to him, and John gets back to me. Says, you know what? Your your podcast would be the perfect one for us to be the first one to come on and talk partly because of the neutrality of the channel, right? If I, if, 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 ten years ago, John Hamer takes this story to Mormon stories, right? If you take it now to Mormon stories, that photo becomes an anti-Mormon photo, right? So he recognized the utility of having the first on-camera conversation um, be on my channel. So he said, Steve, let me work on it. Both, uh, so he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can reach out to Lachlan Mackay, who is actually one of the first people I interacted with early on before I started the channel. And let me reach out to him because I think it'd be great if we could get get him on, get him on for tomorrow. So next thing you know, I get a, a message from John uh, Friday morning saying, you know what, it's not gonna happen. Both Locke and I are slammed. And I said, okay, that's fine. You know, I'm I know, and and then so now I'm talking to Josh Gailey of the Church of Jesus Christ on the phone and we're talking about the photograph and I'm excited about it. And I think it's really cool and we're just kinda like, wow, this is really cool, you know. I said, what does your church think about it? What are they, what are their responses to? It? You know, what do they think? You know? And and then my phone dings. And then about 10 minutes later, I thought, you know what? Josh, I need to get off the phone. I need to check this message. <laughs> and so my phone dings, and it's John Hamer. And he says, Steve, we're on. This evening we're taping. No time. I don't know the time yet. So we're gonna do it. Locks agreed to come on. So I'm like, okay. And then I'm thinking, OK, well, now Locke is in Missouri. And so evening for him would be like seven o'clock my time or eight o'clock. So let's figure out about that. And then I'm like, OK, I need to put something out on my channel. So at 7.45, I taped an interview, taped something saying, OK, folks, get ready. A big announcement about the Joseph Smith photo. Just stay tuned. I'm going to be interviewing a special guest. and I didn't announce who it was about the photograph. I still don't have the, the 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 interview scheduled, so it's about eight fifteen, and I'm like, I'm my time. I'm like, I wonder when I'm going to hear back. At eight twenty, my phone dings. John Hamer says, "Okay, Locke will be ready in ten minutes." So at eight thirty, we hop on Zoom. There we are. By eight thirty-five, we're we're rolling, all right. And I'm about twenty minutes into the interview, and I look, and I, and I usually have my uh, I have my, my a line hooked up to my router directly to the computer to make sure I have a secure internet connection. Uh-huh. I realized I didn't connect it, but you know, I was like, it's going to be okay. Nothing's going to happen. I, I knew like God put this together. So I do the interview. I hadn't even had a chance to read the paper. Colby Townsend sent me the paper, but I was only able to prove it because I didn't have time. And so I'm like, all right, well we do the interview. And I remember the moment where we do the share screen and Lachlan is doing something on the chin, right, right here. And he's, he's then showing the painting, how those little bumps, those little, little creases or you know, things that are unusual on the picture are also on the painting. So it was at that moment where I had that realization, oh my goodness, <laughs> this is Joseph Smith. I'm pretty sure. I mean, I had that moment. It was like a realization. It was like almost like a spiritual moment for me because I recognized the significance. Second only to finding the lost 116 pages would be finding a photograph of Joseph Smith. So I was just like, wow, this is awesome. So then finally we, we wrap up, we tape it. I upload it. I mean, I, I upload it. And by 10.15 that night, it goes live on my channel on a Friday night, 8.15 Mountain Time. mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm my goodness i'm mean, just the first time it went viral something went viral not like jeff mccullough viral <laughs> but but mormon podcast viral right uh, sans uh, mormon stories of course mm-hmm. but, but but i never had number i mean like hell, i mean like i wake up the next morning he's got two thousand views <laughs> i was like oh my goodness and it's become the most viewed video about the joseph smith photograph on youtube and what a privileged position to be in you know and and to know that I had established a good rapport with the community of Christ. I have had John Hamer on. As a matter of fact, folks, I actually, I did a three-part series on the early history of Mormonism from 1820 to 1860, and I remember when I went to Mormon History Association, Barbara Brown comes to me, she says, I love your interview with John Hamer. I learned so much, and so John and I have had a real good, close connection with each other. And of course, your interview with him is awesome. I love. Yeah. I'm jealous that you got him back before me, but that's fine because we're going to do on uh, uh, just a preview. We're going to be continuing the series, and we're going to do from the history of the RLDS Community of Christ from 1860 on forward. Oh, nice. And so I think that will be. And I think it will have to be a two or three parter because there's very little I know about RLDS. I mean, I know some of the highlights. Yeah,
1: you might want to refresh you on Bill Russell because we talked a little bit about that. Oh, so. yeah,
2: yeah, that's right, Bill Russell. So so that was just kind of cool to have because I talked to all the different churches and because the the Snuffer people, the, 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 the movement that's affiliated with Denver Snuffer, they trust me. And then another example of uh, a trust that I've earned in one sense from all these different groups was I wasn't going to do it but the whole killed Joseph Smith movie came out, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm like, I'm staying away from that thing. But then I watched some... People kept on sending me links to watch it. And like, man, I don't know. Ooh, But I watched it, and then I thought, you know what? There's an approach I can take here. I know how I can do this interview correctly without me being uh, this, a lightning rod. So I thought, okay, I could do this. So I reached out to a friend of his, of the director, Justin Griffith, and set it up taped an interview with him that was a big episode and then i hear from his main nemesis um uh, kimberly watson smith of the joseph smith foundation oh, who wants funny. to come on and so then two days later her interview comes out about kind of got the counter narrative so for the longest time the only episode on youtube that actually kind of refuted the movie was my interview with kimberly watson smith so people were hearing about the movie, and then they're going watching both, and then they were going to hers because of, well, we got to hear a faithful, you know, pushback on this thing. So it was the first interview. But I will tell you that both are from completely two opposite, opposite spectrums. <laughs> they don't like each other, but both of them felt that they were treated fairly coming onto the program. And people say, well, why would you do like a movie or that kind of stuff, or even something like people think like this?
1: Well, you're Mormon media reviews. Mormon now, media right? reviews
2: too, right? But I thought, well, no, because, see, my whole idea is, like, you know, you, you limit your pool to certain people. And I understand it. You, you got your niche, and that's what you're doing. I, I respect that. I think it's great. And I, I love it. And even, and, and, uh, and, but I recognize, like, well, wait, this is part of the story of the restoration. That's part of the story. Whether you agree with it, disagree it, or not, it's there's a there's a, there are two narratives that have been going on within within with, with the restoration. You have the narrative of the dominant Utah branch, but you also have the narrative of those who stay behind, who felt like Brigham Young was this bad guy and all these. They had this counter story about what they thought happened, and in one sense, that could be natural and it could naturally evolve into a theory that's proposed in that movie, right? So that's part of the narrative of another stream of the restoration that I felt was important to be discussed and explored and, and just contemplated, right? So that's, that was the reason why I wanted to have that conversation. And that's why it, I was in the minefield, did not get any, uh, nobody attacked me. So both parties felt they were treated fairly. Both parties would come back on my program. And so that was like this, you know, even with the times, I kept on thinking, well, at some point I'm going to do something or have a guest on, or have something happen where it's just going to go from 90% positive comments to 50-50. But it's never happened. It keeps on staying very positive. So I still feel like I'm on the right path of um, the most important thing. I don't really care. Look at it this way, Rick. We live in a society everything's divided. We're getting into fights all the time. And I tell people, I say, you, do you realize that I probably agree disagree with my guests, about 90% of my guests? But you would never know it.
1: Well, you're an evangelical, so you would. Yeah. I
2: mean, think about it. I mean, my, just who I am means I'm in disagreement with probably most of what you're saying on my on my program. Most of what you believe, I would say I disagree with. Mm-hmm. But I, guess what? You can do it, folks. You can have these conversations. It can be civil. And so that's kind of what the channel's become is, is a place for civil uh, conversation. And then, um, oh, let me think here. Uh, so we got Jonathan Neville. You know, we... Uh,
1: tell the story about the muslim that you had a beer with
2: okay all right, I we'll do that so and i will tell i will tell you that what made it so remarkable was i had a beer with that mormon fundamentalist at the beach all right i'd like to drink a little beer i'm not a you know alcohol he's not a word of wisdom guy not a word of wisdom guy i also drink coffee and kyle Bashirs, thank you for the coffee you brought us we appreciate it so um I I, I I I'm not passing up a chance to have a beer with Mormon fundamentalists, right? So then a couple hours, and I send them off. They're they're uh, going back to their honeymoon suite. Because
1: Mormon fundamentalists don't follow the word of wisdom typically. as
2: strictly as LDS do. Yeah, typically. And so, like, oh, that was really cool. Well, every night I go out and I have like I go to my watering hole and I have just one or two beers a night. I actually do that to kind of decompress from being in Mormonism, so I need to have, like, I built a social network with people where we talk about sports, and we just kind of veg out. So I'm not, you know, I just do that as just a means of just kind of uh, being able to de-stress myself at the end of the day. So I'm going there to my regular sports bar, and I'm walking up, and there's a sign saying, uh, employee Christmas party we will be closed at four o'clock today. So I go to, so like, this is in
1: January, by the way. Yeah. Christmas party in January. Yeah.
2: So, I go to the place next door they I only go to like once, once or twice a month. Must like, be Orthodox Christmas. No, yeah, well, it could have <laughs> been, yeah. <laughs> but I, um, so I'm, I sit down at the, t- at, the, at the bar, and I'm sitting there, and this black guy comes, sits down next to me. And we're chatting, and he's like, yeah, I was heading to McDonald's, and at the last minute I thought, you know, I feel like Mexican tonight. Oh, okay, cool. And we start talking, and I said, what's your name? And he gives me his name, and it's a Muslim name. I asked him, Is this a, are you a Muslim? He said, yeah, I'm a Sunni Muslim. Really? See, yeah, I just got here from Texas. I just moved here. I'm kind of new to the area, and I just came in here because I felt like Mexican food tonight. Oh, well, that's cool. That's really cool. So we start chatting, and he asked me, well, what do you do? I said, well, one of the things I do when I was wearing this hat is I have this podcast called Mormon Book Reviews. And I talk to Mormons, and it's really cool, and I love it. But I'm not a Mormon. And he goes to me, he said, oh, he says, I attended seminary when I lived in Nevada. <laughs> i go to him and i said listen dude you're a brother and you're going to mormon seminary you're freaking waking up at 6 30 every morning going to mormon seminary and you're a muslim and he's like yeah and he said i'll tell you what well, the mormons kept me on the straight and narrow they kept me in line they helped me my he, his mormon friends invited them to attend seminary
1: <laughs> that's crazy
2: and and i go to him and i'm like dude what are the odds I was supposed to be in that bar next door. You were supposed to be going to McDonald's. At the last minute, thing happens, puts us seated next to each other. I said, "We're in Florida. There are no this this. If this happens in Utah, that's one thing. We're as far away from that as possible." I said, "Let me ask you. Do you think we just had a, a divine appointment?" And he said, "Yeah, I think we did." And I said, "Can I buy you a beer?" He said, "Sure. I'll have I'll, I'll have a beer with you." So that night, I had a beer with a Mormon fundamentalist and a muslim and i think that's probably never happened but <laughs> and, and and again i look at it that happens all the time so in, in my mind and, and chris well, you're I you're not I,
1: finding mormon beer drinkers all the time
2: <laughs> no although you'd be surprised some mormons i have had a drink with uh, and and uh and, and i will tell you like in my mind i think the odds of that happening are so remarkable. Now you understand, when I first started the channel, I was still more naturalistically thinking, I was still kind of more thinking like an atheist and a naturalist. So when these things would happen, it would be like, and I was t- talking to Kyle Bashir about this, like, what was it, what's it like to kind of transition from atheism back into faith? I said, I'll tell you, it was really crazy. I said, when these things kept on happening, I'd be like, okay, there is a, there has, let me think of the naturalistic explanation to explain what just happened, right? So I would do that. But after a while, I, I had to quit doing it because it just kept on happening over and over and over again. Remarkable conversations. Some people just reach out to me, and I'm like, this this is this is wild. And and so I'm like, okay, I, I, I gave up trying to do the naturalistic explanation because at that point it just becomes, yeah, the odds become almost impossible to think how this could really be happening. Like the guy sitting next to me, right? And by the way, Christopher, I'm not holiness. I know you are. Uh, so, because he don't drink beer, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but, but yeah, see, I'm going to blow his mind too. See, God used go to a bar. <laughs> and well,
1: Jesus, Jesus went to bars. Absolutely, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm following in his footsteps, man.
2: <laughs> Jesus did not make grape juice; he made wine. Okay, that's the first miracle. Was you Baptist there, you don't know what you're talking about. He was making wine. So I, um, so I just kind of realized, okay, you know, this is. God's confirmation that I'm, supposed, that I'm doing His will on some level. It's, it's weird. I, don't, I know it sounds like woo woo, especially to atheists. In old old Steve Where it's like, there's a lot of woo woo. But it's also, it's like a personal transformation that's been going on. So actually, in one sense, and you know, I go on Mormon stories, right? And the very last episode of Mormon stories is How Mormonism Saved an Evangelical's Life. On Mormon stories. Of all podcasts that you could think of that would have that title, the last one you would think of is Mormon Stories, right?
1: It didn't used to be that way. Uh,
2: well, yeah, 15 years ago, that, that interview would happen, right? But it happened. And I remember um, going to a friend of mine. He was lived in California. And he's like, Well, when are you going to tell your story at 20 something subscribers or something? And I said, Well, I'll tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to be going on this show called Mormon Stories and I'll tell my life story there. I mean, and it happened. Like, but I was literally like seeing it happen, and it happened. And so, April 4th, when my episode aired with you on Gospel Topics, or I mean, on, gospel, on my, your Gospel Tangents, <laughs> me interviewing Gospel Tangents on, on my program, was the day that I'm talking to John DeLynn, and then later talking to Sandra Tanner. And then, exactly a year later to the day, the first episode is released on Mormon Stories of my interview with john delin and like like perfect bookends and i didn't even realize it at the time until a few months later like wait a second that happened in exactly a year period of time wow so it's like it's just weird how that happens and i know this is a channel rick that um is more about scholarship right
1: because i don't like to deal with touchy feely feelings yeah
2: and it, <laughs> i know it's then the, the, the I don't want to admit, turn this into a come to Jesus meeting, <laughs> but
1: it's going to be my most popular interview. In
2: <laughs> but but I, I want to say that it was um, a real privilege to be uh, having these stories and documenting, in one sense, my, my spiritual journey. Because in one sense, Mormon did Mormonism did save my life, and I love the Book of Mormon. <laughs> and uh, I love Joseph Smith, warts and all. And nobody can take that away from me. I am a product of the Restoration. <laughs> I almost said, I, I'm not going to say but I could say, I am a Mormon. I <laughs> was
1: going to ask you, I was going to ask you, are you a Mormon?
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't I don't want that to be taken. Okay. Well, you're gonna take you're that just off. a Mormon podcaster. I'm right? a Mormon podcaster. <laughs> but I'm a product of Joseph Smith. I'm a product of the restoration, so you know that's 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 real, right? We wouldn't be here. You don't
1: hear any evangelicals say that.
2: <laughs> I know.
1: You're a unicorn. I
2: know. You keep on saying.
1: that. <laughs> I know.
2: I say that too much, probably.
1: Been <laughs> saying that all weekend because I'm eating too many unicorns. I
2: know. This is crazy. It is. You know. I, I can I talk about maybe Brent Ashworth a little bit? Sure. Okay. Brent is. I remember you were doing your interviews during uh, Murder Among the Mormons. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, he's like taping these interviews and he's releasing it the week of Murder Among the Mormons. And then Rick's calling me saying, yeah, he wants me to come back and tape some more. I'm like, Mom, Mom, he's still going to tape some stuff he's doing. And Mom, he's sitting in Brigham Young's chair and interviewing Brent Ashworth. And oh, my God, you know, oh, wow. And I'm talking to the guy that's talking to Brent Ashworth and he's telling me these things. I'm all excited. And I remember we went to Mormon History Association and they had the, 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 the panel. Which, was course, Sandra Tanner was there. You had, had Hess, and you had uh, the producers of the show. Tyler Mason. Tyler. And you had a lot of the main uh, people that were interviewed sitting up there on the stage. Yes, yeah. But Brent Ashworth wasn't there. Right. Right? So I remember, what was it? What's it, Chuck Wagon?
1: Uh, Chuck rama
2: Chuck O'Rama. <laughs> Let's go to Chuck rama here in, near Lehigh. I was like,
1: you gotta have some Mormon cuisine. Yeah, and exactly. rama is Mormon cuisine. Yeah.
2: So I just remember we're we, we're 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 heading into the dining room, and I, I I told you I don't know if you remember that I told you that evening, um, as before we enter into the room, I got I'm going to meet somebody very important in this room.
1: You told me that after. Yeah.
2: yeah. Right. So this is what I'm he- I'm hearing in my head walking into the room, and we're being seated, and right on the other side of the booth is Brett Ashworth and yeah. his wife. I was
1: like Brett, what are you doing here You yeah. don't live in Lehigh. Right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm like, Brent Ashworth, oh my gosh. And I, and, but like I, knew, I knew walking in that room that I was going to meet somebody. And, of course, it was that missing piece that wasn't there at Mormon History Association. We got to hang with him. I got to introduce myself to him. And then I, I was like, I, I want to have, so I had Brent come on to talk as a guest. And then I remember I had this idea. I thought, you know, Brent Ashworth could spend two hours talking about one thing. And it would be an interesting two hours. But i thought i i want to take this idea to brent i said what if we did this we we would sit down and do like three or four 20-minute segments on a historical object that's related to mormonism but you do not tell me ahead of time what it is so this is this is easy no brainer no prep i literally can just sit there okay okay what you got next well steve i got boom you know and we start talking And then I have to sit there like, okay, i got to formulate questions. Brent is a great storyteller. But by limiting it to 20 minutes each segment, it enables us to kind of document different things that are in his collection. And like Chris Thomas says, Steve, when are you going to get your next uh, Brent Ashworth on? I said, i got it all lined up. I'm going to be getting them back on. And people love the Brent Ashworth interviews. I've got like this little following. You know, it's not getting me 10,000 views, but I get consistently... Uh, a good amount of people that watch it. And then and that's one of the most frequently requested things. When are you going to bring Brent Ashworth? I remember there was an evangelist with the Church of Jesus Christ. I was at their Saturday night preaching service. And this one guy is from California. He goes to me and said, Oh man, he said, I just love those conversations you have with that rich man that has all those things. I said, Oh, Brent Ashworth, yeah. That's so interesting. So I, I thought, What a cool thing. Because I thought, you know, Brent's not going to be with us forever. So I want to go and tape as many 20-minute segments about random things in his collection that he wants to talk about, but does it in these bite-sized things, and it just works. And so whenever I ask him, it's like, oh, absolutely, we'll do it. You name the date, I'll be there, and we're going to talk. He loves doing it, and he loves talking about things in his mm-hmm. collection. And I want to share that. I can, You and I can have that conversation with him any time. Right. But I want to share it with the, with the audience to be able to say, "Let's wow. Because I, I genuinely love the topic. It's, it's so interesting, and I love Mormon history. And to have the privilege to be able to have access to Brent Ashworth, his mind, his collection, and his stories. The Show and Tell segment's on my show. If you haven't watched Show and Tell with Brent Ashworth, please check it out. Especially those of you who are interested in Mormon history and objects and items. It's just it's a really cool, really cool thing that I'm able to do
1: yeah yeah it was very cool and he was nice enough to give me a, a copy of his book show and tell yeah yeah and so,
2: yeah and it's a very good book and it's it's autobiographical it's like brent's story told through the objects of his collection i think it's a really yeah, cool thing yeah yeah
1: well very cool well, I don't want to keep you too long, but is there anything else you want to share before I let you go?
2: Yeah, I know there's going to be something like, oh, I forgot, I should have talked about that. And if there's a scholar out there, I didn't bring your name up. I mean, two hundred and fifty something videos, probably what, well over one hundred and fifty guests I've had on my program. Um, oh, let me tell you something. Can I tell you? You're okay with yeah, go? It? Ahead. Okay, okay. I just remember one of the biggest surprises that I've had doing this channel. The one thing that I did not see coming was my engagement with. Mormon fundamentalists. <laughs> of course, now it's really engagement, literally, right? Is, <laughs> is, I remember it was a Saturday night and Benjamin Schaefer comes out to me because I was doing a series of interviews with Benjamin, right? And he goes to me and he says, Why don't we, we're doing our general conference and we got the, our library, we have a, a, a library that's connected to our temple. Why don't we, uh, you just, I'll line up all of anybody who wants to come on the program, I'll line them up. And I'll just put them in front of the camera, and you talk to them. So I don't know what's coming, the next person that's coming, right? So I'm just sitting there, okay. Hard to prep. Yeah, exactly. And it's a Saturday night. It's about eight thirty o'clock, eight thirty at night. And I'm just like, I end up interviewing about interviewing about seven or eight people, the matron of the temple, uh, the last surviving widow of the of the founding prophet of their of their of their group, right? I remember she just her going on there, and yeah, you know, I want to tell you right now, if you're not practicing the principle, your husband will never reach exaltation. He needs our help, and I'm like, whoa, like she's, and I'm like, wow, that's really cool. And she shared. They all know I'm an evangelical, but I I from ages. They didn't know. No, they did. Well, oh, okay. I think. Well, some of them didn't know who I was, so I'd explain myself in the oh, video. Okay. But I interviewed from people from 17 to 87 years old the whole demographic of the church. And I just remember being at the end of it and thinking, I could be neighbors with every one of those people. They're salt of the earth, they're nice people, they're thoughtful people, they're spiritual people, they're interesting people. And I was like blown away by it. Like that was a real privilege that they allowed me to enter into their church library via Zoom call and just literally have a different guest come on and have these conversations. And I tell people, I say, you know, I used to party. I used to go out and party all the time. I used to go out drinking, you know, all that kind of stuff. I tell people, I said, I will say one thing. This will be, this Saturday night I spent with the polygamists definitely is the top five greatest Saturday night that I've ever experienced. The only difference is, is I remember this one. <laughs> and it was such a cool privilege to be there and have that type of conversation with them. And so that was a real eye-opener for me you know hmm. and of course i knew benjamin schaefer via your interviews right. on on your show and i i and then and wild of course got Ian and wild to come on the program and so the whole fundamentalist polygamist thing has been a really fascinating and in a and really in one sense a joyful experience for me uh in a way that i did not expect and and so like yeah that's that's great having conversations with them you know and just talking to them and and then when I talk to them, like when I meet them in person at Sunstone, they all have a smile on their face mm-hmm. because they, they appreciate me, that I'm not pushing them to the fringes. Right. I want to hear your story. You I are mean, Romans like
1: to push them to the fringes. Yeah. So.
2: Yeah, and, and I think that's unfair. You know, it's interesting, too, to me. One of the observations I have to make is that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has been making a real effort to try to be accepted as Christians in to the especially the evangelical world really that's the only group that's really saying you're not christian right? but we know
1: those fundamentalists are going to drag us down we can't we can't we no...
2: well this is this is the crazy thing for me what's so weird about it is you have them wanting affirmation from evangelicals well we're christians too we're the, LDS. the lds right yeah. but yet theologically they're more in line with the fundamentalists when it comes to the nature of god and god having a body and all this kind of stuff and they're theologically more in tune with the fundamentalists Right, but yet they won't acknowledge them. They will not talk to them. They treat them exactly the way the Gentiles treated uh, the Mormons in Missouri and in Illinois. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, why is it that you feel like we've been persecuting you? In one sense, we have. You have this persecution complex, but yet you're even worse towards the fundamentalists than we are, right? And true. Yeah. So I'm like something has to be done differently in that thing because look we have john taylor's i mean there's 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 some legitimacy to their claim about continuing the i I talked to somebody who's a direct descendant of uh who was an apostle who was doing baptisms in mexico post manifesto and he made it very clear to everybody that he baptized he said you got to understand something no matter what happens you got to keep this going he's an apostle that's important that the principle continue. He's telling them this when they're baptizing them in Mexico. Hmm. So to me, they have to grapple with that reality. And, and, and I think it's unfair the way I think, look, the caricature, the FLDS, bad, bad news. Real bad.
1: Really bad. Yeah.
2: And I will not engage any fundamentalist group that is uh, engaging in un, uh, child brides in marriage. I, I condemn that entirely.
1: So there's a voice of the restoration you'll be out. I think, ma- <laughs>
2: yeah, malevolent voices will not be heard right. on the channel. Right. And so, but I find that to be just a fascinating thing as an outsider observer. It's like, well, you feel really bad about how we treated you, but man, look at what you're doing to your, your cousins. Like, well, how am I supposed to, you know, deal with that? Like on one hand, oh, you know, we want to be your friend and we're, we're Christians, and then but yes, they're not Mormons. They're not legit. But yet, they actually have a claim that I feel is legitimate within the context of, of the restoration. Mm-hmm. That they are carrying on an eternal principle that is very important to Mormon theology. Does, does that does that make sense? I oh, It
1: makes total sense. And I mean, I think I think uh, we LDS are guilty of treating them badly. Um, I mean, I, I do hear through the grapevine and some things that there are there is some. Outreach from the LDS Church to some of these communities, but it's always like, "But don't tell anybody." Yeah, (laughs) we got to keep this on the down low because we don't want to be associated. We don't want to be known that we're helping. Right. And and uh, that's that's not good. I mean, it's not. On the one hand, you know, Jesus said, "You know, don't do your alms before men." And so I can kind of understand that. But it's but you should be known for your good works. And if you're doing good works, what do you hide that for? Mm. You know. but it, it's for PR reasons. I, I get it. Mm-hmm. but...
2: Yeah, I understand. It's a, it's a it's a very complicated. But yeah, we don't
1: want to be seen as being associated with polygamy because it's going to make us unacceptable to the evangelicals, and we we want to be in the in the party. You're right. Exactly. So.
2: Yeah, but I mean, the, I mean that's. But this is this is part of the point of the channel too. Is not to just paper over the differences and say, oh, you know, do some kind of sloppy academical thing where well, well, let's just all get along and. You know, like the, the progressive echo. Ecum- Let's
1: just talk about the stuff we agree on. Yeah, right, you're
2: right, right. I do want to talk about the differences. That's a difference. I think that's a serious issue that the church has to deal with and grapple with if they truly want to engage our camp.
1: Well, and the problem is if we engage it. I think from the leadership point of view if we do engage it we don't want our members joining with them right, <laughs> right. which is a which can happen and ha- and does happen yeah still happens
2: yes it happens a lot yeah I mean as a matter of fact a lot of the people we're fine who,
1: with the evangelicals joining with us but we don't want us joining right them or the fundamentalists right 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 Well, so.
2: yeah exactly exactly you know it's it's interesting too because like I'm not going to say his name but there's a prominent individual who engages with evangelicals and he has these conversations with evangelical pastors a very well-known ones that in in utah and you can watch the videos on utah in, on youtube and this person's like we're all the same and we're we're brothers and sisters and we're fellow christians and he's saying this publicly so but then there's lds folk who are hearing that and they're like whoa hey we're all the same we're brothers and sisters You know, we've decided we're going to start attending the Evangelical Church. Who's the first person they bring in to talk them out of doing it? It's him.
1: Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm.
2: So, what is it, guys? Right? Are we brothers and sisters? Can we have these conversations? That's why I don't like that approach. Because on one hand, it's the, oh, yeah, let's, 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 this pastor and I, we're going to talk and we're going to sit down in these chairs and we're going to yuck it up. But the reality is, is that what's on stage ain't the reality. Right. And so the, I don't like that approach. Because I even have people send me videos. Oh, you got to watch this thing. I'm like, uh, no, no, no. This is not. Now This is too saccharine for me. Right. And so I just want to say, like, that, that bothers me that on one hand they would be saying we're all brothers and sisters. But yet, if you want to go and maybe even visit an evangelical church or consider joining it, that's verboten. And you're going to, a lot of bad things are going to happen to you if you do that. Uh, you know, got to work on that, guys. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough?
1: Yeah. I mean... It happens on both sides. Of the it place. happens on
2: both sides. I agree. But I think right. it's important that we... Hey, you call me out. You call my people out. You mm-hmm. know? And, and, and I think that's important. I, don't,
1: I, not, I try not to focus on that. No, but
2: no, no. But I'm just <laughs> saying, like, we, we it's important that we... But if we actually want to have conversations of dialogue, we do have to acknowledge a lot of elephants in the room as right. well. Right, right. Yeah.
1: And I love that that we can talk about the elephants and not and it's not a problem so yeah
2: i agree i, I thought maybe that was a, there's an amish couple that walks around here i was hoping maybe the camera would catch oh, the amish no. couple walking through <laughs> 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 so but uh yeah so yeah that's that's the kind of uh, real adult conversations i want to have and uh acknowledge our differences but then I always thought, when I, I had Casey Griffiths on, and one of the things I told him when I had him on, I said, you know, one of the problems that us evangelicals have is that when we're looking at the other, we're always looking for the devil in the details. We're looking for the things that we disagree. I said, but God showed me, he said, don't look for the devil, look for the Jesus. So let's bring the conversation to about to Christ. Well, they worship another Jesus. Well, how's that possible? There's only one. But... but the people give all these reasons it's not the
1: trinitarian jesus well though. of course
2: well, i understand <laughs> that yeah and and, and oh, we can get into that i don't even want to talk about that because i, I uh, but but the thing is is like i just tell people and i tell evangelicals and i also encourage lds folk focus just let's just the the, the first topic you should be talking about is jesus because that's all that really matters that's central to, the, to the, this entire endeavor. Guess what? We're all products of Jesus, right? We all are. Um, and he turned the world upside down 2,000 years ago. Radically changed the world that we live in. We lived for a long time in a Christian world. And in one sense, we live in a post-Christian world, but it's acknowledged as Christianity. We still, have the, the, uh, we still have a lot of Christianity that influences our society, our culture. When you consider the world that, that Jesus was in, And then consider and and, and think of all the things that were the, the cruelty, all the terrible things that were, that was a very cruel world, especially if you were on the outside. Right. And Jesus went to the people that were the, the disenfranchised, the poor, the slaves, the prostitutes, the people who were being taken advantage of in the Roman system. And within a few hundred years, this group of people, not through the sword, not through violence, but by turning the other cheek, by being pacifists, conquered the greatest empire in the history of the world. And you know what's so fascinating to me about Christianity? That's not the first, the only empire it's conquered. It's con- it conquered the Soviet Union. Christianity is growing. In the, I know there's issues with Russia, but Christianity is getting more vital in, in there. It's conquering China, because the authentic Christian church. If you want to find an authentic Christian church, it's in the house church movement in China. Where they're being oppressed. It's growing. And we're talking about hundreds of millions of Christians, many of whom we don't even know because they're they're in seclusion. And they're doing they're 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 practicing first century Christianity under another Roman Empire. Hmm. But yet it's flourishing.
1: Under a Chinese Empire.
2: Uh, yeah, exactly. And so so I look at it as like, yeah, okay, I can say maybe one empire is fine. But when every time people try to oppress us or tried to destroy Christianity, that's where it flourishes. And so they'll, they'll never be able to, to, to blow out that flame. They'll never be able to stop what happened at the cross. As the redemption of our world, our universe begun, it's a process that is continuing and will continue into eternity, that literally saved, is going to save the it's the creation. It's going to redeem the creation for that act of sacrifice that he did. So when I say we talk about Jesus, that's the kind of conversations I want to have. I think those are important. That's what's central to our faith. And if we focus on Jesus and just have the conversations there, I think that it will will soften your heart. Evangelicals will soften your heart. It will uh, humble you. You will be blessed by the restoration, and more importantly, the people of the restoration. If you just open your heart, you take that off the blinders, and you just realize that they are, guess what, fellow image bearers. They are also created in his image. And once you see them for who they are, you're also in one sense seeing them how God sees them too. Fellow image bearer, these are my children. <laughs> and it's a different conversation when, you, when the, you approach it that way.
1: Very good. Steve, the missionary.
2: when you guys want to send me the name tag (laughs) we can get you one
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right well steve Pineacre from mormon book reviews it's so been great to have you on gospel tangents and uh, i know i keep saying this but the weather in florida in january is awesome (laughs) Uh, you know
2: let's let's just hey you mormons out there many people have come down and visited me Let's make this a place of a Christian community in which we film Mormon you podcasts. You might get kicked out, Steve. No, it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. I'll tell you what, the Lord, the Lord's hand is on this. But you know what, if God told me tomorrow and says, that's it, got to move on, I won't want to, but I also have to follow his lead.
1: You'll probably move to Nauvoo, right?
2: <laughs> or
1: know. Independence, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe I've, you'll move to Zion Independence, Yeah, right? okay, okay. <laughs> to New Jerusalem.
2: Yeah, you, well, Hey. Uh, if everything goes down the way you guys think it's going down, I'll, I'll be the first to book my ticket to Independence, Missouri. <laughs> <laughs>
1: all right, well, Steve, Well, thanks for being here on Gospel okay. Tangents. Thank we'll you so good. much. You're the
2: bomb, man. You're the GOAT. You're awesome. <laughs> I'm so excited I got to be on Gospel Tangents in my lanai. Thanks, everybody. I love you all.
1: If you like what we're doing here on Gospel Tangents, please become a paid subscriber at gospeltangents.com or patreon.com slash We've got full transcripts on our website at gospeltangents.com, and if you'd like to check out some of our other conversations, click over here.
0: Thanks.